All right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here, ready for the next episode of the Mixed Zone Women's Soccer Podcast. This is episode number 222. And with that number, we're going to give a shout out to Sky Blue's Madison Tiernan, who in the August home game versus Houston scored goal number 220 for the 2018 NWSL regular season. There were 278 goals scored this season, regular season, for an average of 2.57 goals per match. All right, so today's episode is one long chat with Claire Watkins, contributor and podcast producer for The Equalizer. Based in Chicago, Claire, you know, she knows Chicago Red Stars, but she also follows college soccer and U.S. Women's National Team. So we discussed the Portugal and Scotland friendlies, the off and on experimentation in the U.S. Women's lineup this year, and also the Division I Women's Tournament. All right, Jen Cooper here with Claire Watkins, the podcast guru for Equalizer Soccer's podcast, also a longtime contributor to that wonderful WOSO site. Claire, um, good to talk to you. The first time I've had you on this podcast, so I'm sure we're going to have a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited. So there's there's a lot for us to talk about, and I'm torn between NCAA and the U.S. Women's National Team's two friendlies, but I think we need to go with the friendlies because, of course, they just happened and there's a lot to talk about, a lot to bitch about, frankly. So let's get the bitching started because <laughs> that's what that's what we all enjoy. I mean, secretly, I, I think that's why a lot of us are addicted to women's soccer, right? Oh, yes. We love to complain. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, and and I'm sure some people are tired of, of, of hearing me talk about this, but I was really, really hoping, dreaming, hoping that we would see Adriana French get her first cap for the national team um, in one of these two friendlies, either against Portugal or Scotland. Because in my mind, I'm thinking end of the year, um, you know, it's, it's not a tournament. It's not qualifying. Um, it's not those final lead up to the Women's World Cup. She's coming off an excellent season. Hey, she's clearly your number three because it seems like she's, you know, it seems like Jane Campbell has moved down a, a, a slot, moved that seems like Abby Smith has too. So why not get capped? You've got six, six subs in a friendly. Yeah, but it didn't happen. So what the hell? Can you explain this to me? <laughs> um, well, I mean, I, I also just want to like, back up what you're saying not only is the time that would the timing seem right but also the other roster moves for this these games indicated that this was maybe one of the last sort of looks that some bubble players were going to get to see how right. they play obviously danielle colaprico was called in jessica mcdonald emily fox played in both games um so it seemed like this was kind of a you know, let's see what happens sort of a situation, whereas things I, I imagine in 2019 are going to be much more locked down. So it, it did feel odd, especially, and this is where I understand why Alyssa Mayer started the first game. Totally. Um, and, and, I, and I understand, and like Jill has been very consistent about what they're trying to do there. And, but, but what I don't necessarily understand is why Ashlyn Harris needed to have all 90 minutes of this game against Scotland 
or Nair needing all 90 against Portugal. Right, exactly, against Portugal. Though, and, and, and I mentioned to you this right before we recorded, I have a theory about Nair in particular that actually kind of played out during that game, which is that I think, I think that we've all seen some interesting moments from Nair over the last year to two years. And I think that to a certain extent, her mental, the, the mental aspect of her game as the number one still needs developing. And yes. I wonder just if the U.S. is trying to make that happen through sheer minutes alone. And so in that regard, yes, it's weird to have Alyssa Nair do a full 90 minutes with a defense where you know, one of your, where you're, you know, one of your outside backs is a college kid. But um, I think they're just trying, they're, they're really, really trying to make her more comfortable because as we saw in the Portugal game, there are moments where she still has decision-making delays. And I think that they're still trying to work through that. So I do actually maybe understand why Nayer got the full 90 because she is the number one and she still actually probably isn't where she needs to be right now. Um, right. But then again, the relationship between number three, the number three keeper and the number two, that's what I don't fully get. And and number four, number five even, because keep in mind, mm-hmm. you end up naming 30 players uh, to your World Cup roster, 23 to the final roster. So you have seven, right. seven alternates who, and, and obviously you're going to have a fourth keeper in one of those alternates, that if something happened between the final roster and your first game, you know, someone get hurt in practice, you, you replace somebody much like, you know, 2011, Lindsay Tarpley was named. She tore her ACL in one of their warm-up games. So, you know, they bring in, they bring in Kelly O'Hara. So, Mm -hmm. and I, and I remember, you know, (laughs) making this argument in the last cycle that it's, it's like, not only is your second keeper important, but your third keeper is important because you never know. Um, you have to be prepared for, for every possibility. And if a keeper goes out, it affects everything so much more than, mm-hmm. than when a field player goes out because you've already had ample opportunity to practice. Okay. What if you don't have this player? What if you don't have this player? I mean, just like these friendlies that, you know, Heath um, and Haran and press have been out, you know, so, so you can mix things around and, and, and the team has, has, practiced figuring things out without a star player, you know, but you so rarely get that opportunity to have that. Okay. The keeper is different. You know, could you imagine having your first cap, you know, in, in, in the world cup or. <laughs> right. <laughs> or your second I, well, cap. I'm a big, I'm a big believer that every player should get at least a couple games to look foolish for their international yes. team. Yes. Um, and that can't happen in a World Cup knockout game, which yeah. is why these caps are important. Well, and and like Jane Campbell's third cap, which was her, her first start, I think, uh, last April in Houston, you know, she had mm-hmm. a couple of howlers. But like you yeah. said, you need that opportunity to look foolish. You know, if if we had the full video of Hope Solo's second cap, which I, I was there live, it was in Houston, um, yeah, she let in two goals by Mexico. One of them, she got chipped, you know, mm. by, by an unrushing player. It's it's like, but she had the opportunity to learn from that. You know, I think you you, you said it best. It's like you have to have the opportunity to look foolish, foolish, and to to miss some sitters. You know, like 
Like mm-hmm. Jess McDonald, like she got to redeem herself in the same same game Thursday. Go, you know, right. she missed a sitter mm-hmm. and then like, you know, you know, made it happen. So I I hate that what some of the problems from the previous cycle are still affecting this cycle in that because we hadn't capped a lot of younger, newer keepers coming in behind solo, then Jill was caught playing catch up and is still playing catch up. So that because, because Nair didn't get to develop as a backup to solo. So that's why she's getting all this cap to kind of like, you know, you know, continue on your theory and so mm. Harris still isn't getting a lot of time, but more importantly, no one behind Harris or Nair is 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 getting any time. And it just right. blows my mind. And of course, you know, you could have a World Cup where none of it comes into play, but the whole point is to be prepared yeah. in case yep. it comes into play. You know, much like practicing penalty kicks. You could go a whole tournament, not need penalty kicks, but if they happen, you can't go, oh wait. <laughs> Right. We need we need to go we back in time this, and practice right. those. <laughs> we didn't think of that. So so we'll move on from from the goalkeeper Randy, but I just I just had to get that off my chest because I was I was so ready for it to happen, given that Nair got her her first cap in this this time and in the cycle last time around. And of course, you know, being a stat junkie, I had looked it up that it's like, hey, if, if French got capped she would be the oldest keeper to get her first cap for the U.S. national team and only the 24th keeper in the history of the program. Now, that that number isn't too bad. 24 over the course of 33 years. That, that's not bad because, you know, you don't, you don't move keepers in and out willy-nilly. But when we look at she'd only be like the fifth keeper to get her first cap in the last 10 years, that's, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. So anyway, okay, or actually, even, or go ahead. yeah, yeah. No, I was just going to say the other thing too is, is we're obviously seeing some weird movement in that we did have some young keepers get playing time over this cycle who have now fallen out of camp whatsoever. Right. right. So that means that Jill Ellis is seeing something from 80 French that she is not seeing from the other keepers, which is why it doubly does not make sense that she is getting no playing time. Yeah, I mean, we could do a whole separate episode on like, you know, <laughs> please, please, Jill, tell us what what's lacking in Abby Smith, you right. know, Jane Campbell, you know, there, there's, I, I feel like we don't have the depth of young keepers that we used to, or even Casey Murphy, didn't she call in Casey Murphy to a camp? She did. Earlier mm-hmm. this year. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah. Anyway. All right. So let's talk about the rest the rest of the team, the rest of the field sure. for these two games. So both of them won zero decisions. Neither game extraordinarily impressive, but in a way I wasn't expecting a, a lot of greatness where you're going up some against some decent European opponents at the end of a very long year. But what do you think? Yeah. Um, I thought that the U.S. looked like – uh, their players were in off season. I think the U.S. plays better in the middle of the NWSL season. I think they always have. Um, I think um, both teams that they played were incredibly defensively organized, and uh, and I also think I think maybe the only the only some of the things that we saw was um, 
Mallory Pugh still really seems to be working her way back into form, and she got a lot of playing time over the two games and had a great assist in, in the one um, the, the right. second game against Scotland. But um, but overall, she still seems like someone that they're trying to work kind of back into the fold after missing a lot of the year. Um, I thought it was, yeah, I just thought it was kind of a disjointed performance. I think that the midfield was affected by having Emily Fox in the defense. I think they had to come back a lot to cover for her, which makes sense, obviously, but that just was a part of the game plan that had to be accounted for. Um, and I think that, um, and I think that they just, yeah, the, the personnel choices that they made, they obviously had some people, they had Tobin Heath and Kristen Press pull out before the first game. Lindsay Horan uh, was unavailable for the second. And so I think that also maybe shaded those, those games a little bit as well. But I'm glad in a way that because of those absences, that it almost forced Ellis to mm-hmm. play around with the lineups. And and I think it's interesting that the end of 2018, that we're seeing someone like Colaprico, also Emily Fox, get their first caps, Jess McDonald get her first cap in two years, where the storyline in 2017 was this is the experimental year. In 2018, this is like, you know, finishing touches, where it's like, no, nah, I was I was pleased to see some different names on this roster. And that when we heard that that Heath and Press um, were pulling out of camp, that they weren't replaced because that right. means like, yeah, you've got 22 players is plenty for two games, you know, in, in one week. So I was I was pleased that you could you, we could see still some experimentation going on. You know, also that Zerboni, who got that last minute call up last fall only because she was in market that like was still getting a chance this year to make her mark. And, you know, and I hope she comes back from her elbow injury to, to really be in contention because this could be, you know, the most competitive um, process for a, a women's world cup roster for the U S ever. You know, when, when you think about last yeah. cycle, it was really, there were 25 players. Jill had to cut two. You mm-hmm. know? So this is, this is, you know, she, she's got a literal 30 that could be um, in that 23 and another 10 who are who are really forcing those those 30. I mean, when when they listed the CONCACAF um, preliminary rosters, that was kind of funny. <laughs> you know, where I, I was like, hey, Cola Prico, she doesn't have a cap, but that's so yeah. cool. It's, it's like we knew she wouldn't be on the final 20 player roster, but it but it gave you an insight into you have to have a pool that that's larger. So I was, I was glad to see that kind of um, that kind of openness uh, in terms of, you know, Jill has capped a lot of new players, um, mm-hmm. you know, has, has been open, um, you know, to, to doing some different things. And Hey, even this game against Scotland, um, Crystal Dunn got to play midfield. What did you think about that? Yeah. I was, yeah. I was going to say just to like prove your point, the fact that, this team is so talented. Like I always go back to this team is so talented that Crystal Dunn is playing left back. This is what it takes to yes. get some of these <laughs> players on the field together. Um, and, and it's a remarkable thing. I mean, you even look at these two games, Sam Mewis played very little, you know, a player of her caliber. Right. Um, it, it's just, it's interesting. And in a way, I'm not sure we've fully grappled with yet because I think it's very easy to focus on on roster moves and different faces and whatnot. But um, 
in in a way, it, I think it's interesting to look at the opposite, which is what is Jill doing with the talent that she already has, because it is such a deep 18 and then another, like you said, 10 players after, you know, after that. So um, I think it's very, very interesting. I, uh, I thought it was kind of funny that Alex Morgan started the game, like played this game on the wing, the game against Scotland. Um, That felt like a very ultimate, like we need to get Carly Lloyd and Alex Morgan on the field and only one of them can be the nine. So (laughs) (laughs) Alex Morgan, you got to go left. I'm sorry. (laughs) <laughs> well, and also we have to point out um, Carly Lloyd missing a penalty because she she oh, became the go-to yeah. taker. Um, you know, she kind of took over for Abby, kind of middle of the, the 2015 World Cup, and everybody's she gonna did. Have, everybody's going to have an off day, but she's usually been clinical. You know, I, the the ice cold finisher. You know, when it comes right. to penalties. Um, you she, know, so she also she, she had a she had an article come out in the New York Times this morning too about um her new role and uh how she's adjusting to that as more of a super sub. So in the light of that, I thought it was very interesting to see her get that start and then sort of have an interesting performance, shall we say, <laughs> today. <laughs> well and and I was thinking, you know, when I saw that she got the start, I was thinking if, you know, if Press, Heath, Haran, any one of them was in camp, especially Press, uh, she wouldn't, she probably wouldn't be getting that start, you know. Right. So, so maybe this is, hey, Jill, Grant, hey, Carly, you know, have have fun with it. Um, right. And, and in a way, like Morgan being on the on the wing, like I'm I'm glad that this roster is being forced to have some different lineups and okay. So-and-so started at left back, but then we made a sub and then they, they move up that, that, you know, the lineup's not going to be the same, you know, they have to be a team that's smart enough to deal with transitions and deal with changes. Well, um, you know, that you, you can't just say, no, it's always like this. And we always want it to be like this. Like, no, you have to, you have to be able to, to make changes on the fly and, and think about too, you know, this team has succeeded over the years in part because for a long time you had the same core playing together, you know, and they only played with each other, you know, when there, when there wasn't league play. Um, but in the reality of, of international soccer, especially if we're going to get to the point where, um, you know, you have full-fledged leagues going in most countries, you're not going to have the luxury of 50 to 60 training days a year. You know, so right. so I so I wonder if if Jill has that in the back of her head of, you know, hey, these these girls need to be prepared for boom. There's suddenly three people in camp that you've never played with before for the national team. Right. You know, yeah. I'm not going to say they've never played together before because it's, you know, I'm sure they've run across each other in youth soccer, or college soccer, or, you know, NWSL or, or, or something like that. But it can't be this. Oh, well, no, we, we get a month to prepare. It's like. I mean, especially for me, having having worked the, the Men's World Cup this summer and, and seen it in a way that I'd never seen it before. And you think about that all these players report like maybe 10 days before the World Cup, that there's not this, mm-hmm. you know, five week lead up. It's like, yeah, that, that that's how it is. Now, you know, part of that, of course, is that, you know, men's leagues, most of them are, you know, highly competitive. So these players are coming in 
really at the top of their game. And you didn't always have that for the women. But as we're we're getting to that for the women, you know, I think we're just in a very interesting, you know, transition. And that's where you can see the difference in, in Scotland. And I think in Portugal too, uh, you know, a friend of mine um, from ESPN was like, wow, I was really impressed with, with, with um, Portugal. And I wouldn't have been able to predict that game beforehand, but in a way I wasn't surprised because here's a team that now has a regular league, even if it's not a highly professional or highly paid league, but it's like, their players are getting time week in, week out. Scotland, it's 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 the same thing. This is not the Scotland that we played even, you know, six years ago um, in, in Sermani's debut. This These players are getting regular, high-level um, experience, and it shows. It totally shows. Mm-hmm. And, of course – Yeah, I oh, – go yeah. I agree with all of that. That's great. <laughs> so, sorry, sorry. <laughs> no follow-up, yeah. <laughs> but talk about um, talk about maybe some of the, the things that surprised you in these games or just, you know, maybe a player that, that, that stood out. Um, I, uh, so, for, I mean, for me, obviously, I – I primarily, you know, I, I'm, I'm, in, I'm based in Chicago. Um, a lot of my close reporting has to do with the, the Red Stars. And so um, seeing Danny Colaprico get two caps um, was very yes. exciting to see. She's a player who has always, she was the rookie, of, she was, you know, rookie of the year, her, her first year in, in the league. She's always been a very clinical kind of classic number six which is not necessarily something that the U.S. has had for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so finally, not unlike a McCall Zerboni, finally getting to see her kind of take that next step when it comes to playing with the U.S. Women's National Team was very interesting to see. She subbed into the second half of both games. Um, she got a little bit more time against Portugal than she did against Scotland. Um, and I thought... The, the interesting thing about the Portugal game was the player that she replaced was Andy Sullivan, who is another player who, when she was in college, um, you know, got time with the U.S. Women's National Team. She then got injured and then since coming back has kind of fallen out of favor a little bit more. And so watching the direct comparison between Colaprico and Sullivan was very interesting because it definitely looked like Colaprico was a player that had a couple more years on her had maybe a more natural vision for what was happening in the midfield, but was also doing very quiet, small possession-based things that weren't necessarily the flashiest um, things that someone might try to be doing in their first cap. Um, the only issue that I see going forward when it comes to Colaprico is, and, and this is funny because I think the U.S. has two kinds of players right now in their midfield. They have the players who can really physically compete are very, um, aggressive going forward and then they have some of the more kind of uh, I'm trying to think of a good way to say this uh, sort of the, the vision-based playmakers and I think that Colaprico just physically ha- was not necessarily able to match what was happening around her in both of these games um, and I don't know if that is something that can be developed quickly enough for her to get a serious look because the way that I see it, Danny Colaprico is a very, very good player. But right now, her competition is her college and club teammate, Morgan Bryan, who is not here for these games. 
Um, and also someone like Sam Mewis. So, or Julie Ertz, who has been playing the six, so the sort of de facto six for the, for the U.S. women's national team. So this goes back to the player pool being very deep. Um, but in the way you say you hope for McCall's or Boney to get more looks, I also hope the same for uh, Colaprico. Yeah, I mean, and like you mentioned, Colaprico having a little bit more experience, showing a little bit more experience. I think that, mm-hmm. again, points to just how invaluable the NWSL is, where if we didn't have the mm-hmm. NWSL, you wouldn't have a player like Colaprico available for a last-minute call-up. Jessica McDonald. Yep. You know, right. that, that if someone hadn't popped in the U23s or earlier, you know, and was good enough to get one of the the gigs in Europe, one of, one of the well-paying gigs in Europe, then then they wouldn't wouldn't be under consideration. You know, so it's it's right. it's, hu- it's huge that um, you know when when Jill had to name a 35 player <laughs> roster for, <laughs> for for the preliminary rosters for Concacaf that everyone on there was a legitimate player. I mean, right. we're not going to, we're not going to say their chances of making the world cup were legitimate, but it, but it's like, yeah, I can, I can see the value in all 35 of the, of those players. And that was just really, really satisfying, but let's, let's yeah. shift on to um, the college game. Cause of course we are, we're right at the beginning of the NCAA tournament. Um, you had first round games, last weekend 64 teams and i cannot tell you how excited i was to find that every single one of those first round matches was available live on broadcast somewhere either via pac-12 facebook websites espn plus sec network whatever they were all broadcast Mm -hmm. live um that was very satisfying because in the past as recently as two years ago i when i would look i would you know, struggling to find anything really until the final four. So it's so nice that, that, you know, all these different avenues have, have opened us for us to watch. Um, now I know you and I both mostly watch NCAA to kind of prep for, you know, we've got, we've got the draft in January. We all start thinking once the NWSL season is over, it's like, all right, draft, who's, you know, who's going <laughs> to be in there. So, so with that in mind, I mean, what games have you been most interested in watching and, and who's kind of popping out for you? Yeah. So I, this is, I'm, I am beating on a drum that I'm sure many, many others already have, but uh, Bunny Shaw had a massive game for Tennessee against Louisville. She scored both of her team's goals. Like um, in the last 12 minutes or something crazy. Yeah. Like too, to come yeah. from behind. Yeah. Yep. Um, so that was, that was very cool. I mean, I can't, I can't think right now of like a hotter player going into the draft, considering what she did for Jamaica and what she's continuing to do for Tennessee. I would certainly hope that even though she's an international, she is on many NWSL teams radars because she is a player that deserves to be invested in, um, from kind of the opposite, a similar standpoint, um, first seed Georgetown had a very weird game against Central Connecticut State. Um, they were down one nothing for about 60 minutes before they kind of turned the Jets on and, and scored three there at the end. So they they were they were the number one seed in the most trouble uh, as the uh, as the game as the games went on. So I thought that game was interesting. Um, I, I it's it's kind of like what you said. I kind of tie. I tie teams to prospects essentially a lot of the times when it comes to the way that I look at the tournament. And um, 
The other significant, one of the significant ones is um, Northwestern out of the Big Ten lost their opening game to uh, NC State, which was significant to me only because I've been keeping my eye on uh, Kayla Sharples, who is uh, a defender for them and has been been very, very consistent. And I always, again, Chicago, I always look at the players uh, who are from the Chicagoland and who play college near here because the Red Stars have three picks in the first round this year. So I uh, right. I think it's inter- always interesting to keep an eye on those because I think those are the players most likely maybe to be on their radar. So she's the only prospect that I kind of have in my first round that will not be continuing on into the tournament. The rest of them have been pretty, you know, standard. Stanford had an easy game. Um, North Carolina went through very easily, which was good because they were without Emily Fox. Um, right. Haley Mace. Haley Mace came back for UCLA, so UCLA didn't lose her for these U.S. Women's National Team friendlies, so they were fine. Um, good to see Good to see Ole Miss get through. Good to see Mississippi because I think that CeCe Kaiser is a really great player. Um, so, yeah, so those are, those are the people I'm kind of keeping an eye on, and I, I'm always looking for kind of that senior class when it comes to showing up in the tournament. Yeah, and the interesting thing about this year, when you look at some seniors, you you actually have a lot of seniors that um, have another year of eligibility because mm-hmm. uh, you know they they took off for the the twenty sixteen under twenty World yeah. Cup, you know. Right. So now some of them could still say, "I'm going to graduate," you know, and that's that's always a question too of like, okay, she's got a year of eligibility, but you know, is she going to declare? Or, or not declare. Um, and, and that's a personal decision, you know, for, for all of them. But um, I'm so looking forward to this draft when you've got, you know, like I said, Chicago, I think you said three first round picks. Houston has mm-hmm. a ridiculous amount of second round picks, yeah. which is a yeah. very different draft, you know, for, for, for Houston. Um, and what's, what's funny is normally this would be, the draft where those 2016 U20 players would be the stars, but because of the timing of that women's world cup, most players, Mm -hmm. well, all the players on the team um, took off from NCAA because U S soccer asked them to. Um, Whereas the previous cycle. So the 2014 draft had a lot of 2012 U20 women's players, but that was an early September tournament. So that, you know, the players didn't have Mm -hmm. to, 2014 we saw you know Dunn um uh Ohio Johnston you know that kind of thing uh 2016 mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember so we had it's all a blur now but I'm sure there was some 2014 uh you know world cup players in there um back to the NCAA tournament had there been any like surprise games or, you know, just interesting games for you to watch. It's, it's, it's funny when you think about like, like, you know, me saying, Oh, they're all on TV. It's like, great. It's like, but there's really no way that everyone has time to watch 32 two hour um, matches. Um, Right. So, so how do you, how do you even choose? It's hard. I mean, I always go back. I always go back. Like I said, to that Georgetown game, which was very weird in that I, I was not planning on watching that game until I saw the result at the end of the first half. And I thought, oh, this could really be something. And, and it turned out, you know, to be to be a more 
uh, normal result than anyone was anticipating. But um, it, I don't. I mean, we were talking about this before we started. The NCAA tournament is weird in that um, really anything can happen, and sometimes. Sometimes the more kind of wacky games can get lost in waiting for the higher seeds to play each other. Um, I'm trying to think what else. Hofstra played a very good game against Boston College. Um, yeah, but also I would say to a certain extent, this first round played out kind of the way everyone I think mostly expected. Um yeah, yeah, not a, not, yeah, not a lot of huge, huge yeah. upsets. And, and um, I mean, of course, what would have been an upset if, if Tennessee didn't, didn't <laughs> end, right. end up getting yeah, those two exactly. goals from, from Bunny Shaw, you know, yeah. and, and winning. I'm, I'm kind of excited that Baylor, you know, they won their mm-hmm. first uh, conference championship in, in, in 20 years, and then they ended up one of the, the regional seeds um, right. And now they're going to be facing this weekend, they're going to be facing Vanderbilt, who for the first time, I think in more than 20 years, won the SEC, you know, mm-hmm. so like that's that that to me is a really fascinating, uh, you know, matchup. Um, let's see, I'm looking at. Yeah, the, we've the got we've record. got let's see, we've got perhaps UCLA and, and, and Santa Clara hurtling towards each other. We we are yes. getting into the point where. Um, yeah, I I think yeah, some intriguing stuff. Some, but perhaps maybe one round away. But right. But then yeah. some of these matchups, like uh, so, Penn State and South Carolina are meeting. That's going to be a great are, game. Yeah, and those are both names where we we've seen them in the Final Four recently. But hey, you know, season yep. to season, it, it it can vary a lot. And then. Mm-hmm the winner of that one will play either West Virginia or Wake Forest and West Virginia, you know, they were in the final just, uh, you know, two years ago. Um, right. And then also I, I love the matchup of USC, uh, you know, the champion yes. from two years ago playing LSU, who uh, was the first team to win the SEC tournament, having played all four games, um, you know, cause they've got the play in round and then it goes into quarterfinals. Mm-hmm. So and I think they went to penalty kicks like twice in the tournament. And they even went to overtime and penalty kicks against Boston University in the first round. So like mm-hmm. LSU clearly has a never say die attitude. And I, I can totally see like Alicia Chapman and, and uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Alex Arlett. And let's see who who's the other one. Megan Kinnaman. Those are your NWSL alums from LSU mm-hmm. just going, yes. Yes, this is great. Yeah. Um, And then, of course, all of this, all these brackets lead to the final four um, at, of course, Wake Med Park in Cary, North Carolina, um, which will become, with this tournament, the location that has hosted the final four more than anywhere else. So, if anyone's looking for something to do that weekend after Thanksgiving, which I would think would be a great weekend to travel. Um, you know, there's, there's, you can buy one ticket and get to both the, the semifinals on Friday and the final on, on, on Sunday, you know, always, always a great game to watch. What still bugs me is that, I mean, they're televised live, but they're on ESPNU. Um, mm-hmm. 
and of course now we're more in the in the streaming world and it's a little easier to to, to find them on 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 streaming or pay extra but like when i first got I, into women's yeah. soccer they were they were on espn too and not you yeah or you is, right. is that kind of obscure like do i have that channel you know yes i i've been i, I always i i my big thing and i promise this is just my personal recommendation but um <laughs> if anyone wants to do a 30-day free trial of hulu plus they have all of the ESPN channels. They have you, they have news, which none of us knew what news was. Oh, until, good, you know, good Yeah, tip. however many, you know, months ago. So if if uh, you're looking for maybe one kind of catch-all for all of those kind of lesser-known sports channels, Hulu Plus is not a bad choice. So that's that's well, the one that I tend to go with. That's, that's what I've been figuring out, like uh... – so Australia played yesterday, um, you know, mm-hmm. they played Chile and I, I was able to watch the first half before I just got way too tired and went to bed <laughs> um, that I could watch it via the football app that the Australian Football Federation came out with. So downloaded the app. It only costs $3.49 a week to access. Now I had to use a VPN but I know how to do that now. Mm. And all of this is legal. Yeah. That's not illegal to VPN. No. Um, no. You know, so so it's like through this one app, if I want, I can watch every W League game, every A League game, and almost all of their national team matches. And I'm like, wow, hey, U.S. soccer, wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> like, yeah, right. You know, could you do something like that? Or like, yeah. I, yep. I, finally, I finally got Fubo because it had all of the CONCACAF matches, even the ones on Fox Sports 2, which which I didn't have. It's got um, the uh, upcoming African Women's World Cup qualifiers. And it was supposed to have the oh. Argentina-Panama match, um, but it didn't, like, it had the channel, but the channel had changed what they were going to play. Um, and Fubo does a one-week free trial, you know, all, all of these. So... Yeah, there, there's so many more options there, you know, than, than what used to be. And, you know, and some of these teams or countries when, you know, they know they can't find a home for it. You know, we've, we've seen England put one of their recent games just on Facebook, you know. Yeah. So for, the, for those of you that need more soccer in your life, um, especially <laughs> live soccer, just, just put the word out on Twitter and someone like Claire or myself or someone will be like, oh, this is how I found it. Like, yep. you know, there's, there, there's more and more ways, ways to find it, which means, you know, you'll have less and less free time and we'll be all become bigger <laughs> and bigger soccer nerds. So um, I'm glad, I'm glad you made me think of international soccer. Cause I completely forgot. Did Argentina and Panama play today? I mean, I figured they did play today. They, they Argentina did play. qualified for the World Cup today. I yeah. figured they. I figured they would with the four yeah. zero yeah. advantage. But hey, yeah. Panama, 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 did Panama score. scored. They got, yeah. they got a goal. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's the kind of thing like as excited as I was for Panama and and Muniz Bailey, like when you look at the level of the European playoffs. And 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 we saw the skill of Argentina last week. Um, yeah, I'm glad that it's Argentina going because I don't think right. Panama would have had the resources to to really compete at that level. 
that being said, yeah. I hope what the federation I hope what the federation does now is like, hey, look how much having just two seasons of of you know an amateur women's league did. Let's keep going. You know, I I right. hope that you know they get opportunities for players like Keneith Bailey who you know, one year playing goalkeeper and that's how she plays. You know, I, yeah. I hope that Argentina starts putting more, you know, in, in, into their team and that maybe um, there's other players that could benefit from being in, in NWSL or, or something like that. So, all right. So now mm-hmm. we've got 20 teams uh, of the 24 set, just four more to go, three from Africa, one from Oceania. Um, and then we get the draw on December 8th. So, yep. There's just, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just like, okay, this is our last few weeks of rest. And then we kind of like go overdrive <laughs> into the draw, World Cup, friendlies, rosters, leagues, Champions League. Yeah. So, yeah. So you better get your rest now, Claire. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> all, all happening. Yeah. NCAA Final Four. All right. Well, Claire, yeah. thank you so much for, for taking the time to wander all around the soccer landscape. Um, with me and, and I want to give you one more opportunity to just uh, remind all the listeners uh, where they can hear you also talk about women's soccer. Yes. So I, especially this week, I have some written content coming out as well as you can find me every Monday morning on uh, the Equalizer podcast, uh, which is exclusive for Equalizer subscribers. Um, and I also, I, you'll find me at a variety of different outlets, depending on, you know, the way the spirit moves me. So, uh, you can follow me on Twitter <laughs> at, uh, at, at Scout Ripley, which is, uh, that's, that's the name of, of my band, actually. That's, that's my name as a musician. So doing a lot of stuff. So I'm all over the place. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Claire. Cool. All right, time to wrap it up with the back four. We're getting so close to having all 24 teams set for the 2019 Women's World Cup. The last two qualifying tournaments uh, wrap up in a few weeks. There's just four spots left to fill. As earlier this week, the Netherlands topped Switzerland 4-1 on aggregate in the UEFA playoff. And Argentina prevailed 5-1 over Panama uh, over aggregate goals in the CONMEBOL CONCACAF playoff. So the two tournaments that determine the other four spots, they kick off this weekend. You have the Africa Cup of Nations. It'll be played in Ghana. Kicking off Saturday, eight teams qualified from all all of Africa for this final round, and three teams will earn a berth for France 2019. Fubo TV is carrying these games. Um, That's an app that you can can buy, or rather buy service to, and it does offer a one-week trial. The Oceana final qualifying tournament will be played at the same time in New Caledonia. Eight teams competing for the Confederation's one spot. And every single game uh, in that tournament will stream live at Oceanafootball.com. All right, so we will know all 24 teams by December 1st. The latest FIFA women's rankings will be released December 7th. And then the final draw for the 2019 women's World World Cup will be held Saturday, December 8th in Paris. And yes, Fox Sports will be offering live coverage of that draw. 
Speaking of tournaments, of course, we've got the NCAA Division I Women's Tournament going on. And if you want to watch, you can check out the link I've added to KeeperNotes.com uh, that has ticket and broadcast links for every single game. Some of the broadcasts are free. Some may require a cable subscription, though a lot of those services do offer free trials like ESPN Plus and stuff like that. All the second round games will be played Friday, November 16th. All the third round games are, are this Sunday, November 18th. And looking ahead to 2019, you'll want to make sure these two events are on your calendar. First, the 2019 NWSL College Draft on Thursday, January 10th, which will stream live from Chicago. And the U.S. Women National Team first game of the year on Saturday, January 19th in France against France. That game will air live on Fox Sports 1. All right, last thing for the back four, my updated NWSL almanac, including color photos, full player registry, coaching records, all-time stat leaders, and much more, is available for pre-order now if you go to keepernotes.com. The final 300-plus page color PDF will be ready for download by December 1st. There is a discount if you pre-order now at keepernotes.com, and you can also order discounted older editions as well. All right, that's it for this episode of the Mixo Women's Soccer Podcast. Keep in mind there will not be an episode next week during the holiday week, but I'll be back after Thanksgiving to talk about the U-17 Women's World Cup and, of course, the NCAA tournament. All right, many thanks to everyone who's been listening. Many thanks if you have referred this podcast to someone else. And as always, big thanks to Sean for putting this all together. But now she's anybody's girl.